reminding ourselves that it's not all bad, even though we overfocus on the negative and focusing on the positive. I think that's one of the practical things that we can do to increase the meaning and quality in our lives. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Humanly Possible. I am so excited to be here with my really good friend, a smart guy. If you are in, have been in the marketing industry or uh, in, in, in the industry of uh, understanding SEO, SEM, and all this good, rich uh, digital world, then you know Tim Ash. And the latest stuff that he's come out with is super awesome. It's it's like brainiac kind of stuff. And when we talk about it, it really, really invigorates me to where we're heading as humans. As the human guy, I'm super pumped. Um, he's he's inside of psychology, marketing, and, and persuasion. Um, he's a keynote speaker spoken all over the world um, in uh, and also being a best-selling, best-selling author and the former CEO of a leading marketing agency. Tim, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, Brian. Glad to be on your show, buddy. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Well, let's just jump in. You have this amazing um, book that you've spent, I want to say, a long time. Like It wasn't just something that you just came up with and wrote and pulled together. Um, the name of the book is even just kind of exciting itself. Unleash Your Primal Brain, Demystifying right. how, we, how We Think and why we act. Why yes. did you write this? Oh boy, this is kind of a full circle story. When I attended University of California, San Diego, my two undergrad majors were computer engineering and cognitive science, which was in the psychology department at the time. And I stayed there for graduate work in what you'd now call machine learning or artificial intelligence, basically self-learning systems. So I've always been interested in the brain, how we learn, cognition, and I applied that in my work career as, you know, for 20 years through my marketing agency, SiteTuners, we created over $1.2 billion in value for our clients all over the world. And the vast majority of that was applying these kind of psychological, durable principles of how to persuade people. It wasn't about the technology, it was about our brains. And so this is kind of coming full circle now to uh, a deeper understanding of of our brains and how they evolved and uh, why we act the way we do. So you're, you're looking at the human brain and, and, and you say to yourself, uh, I'm going to write a book. Where do you start? <laughs> well, this is, it, it, as you mentioned, it, it took a long time to give birth to this book. It's been about three years since I started writing or reading really. Um, and the problem is, the brain's a pretty complicated thing. In fact, it's the most complicated object in the known universe as far as we know. Uh, so there's so much to it. And what my problem was is that 
I read a lot of great books. Okay, here's a good behavioral economics book. Here's one on neuromarketing. Here's one on habit change and personal development. Here's why we're tribal. All of these people are inside of their little boxes and they can't get themselves out. And I wanted kind of a but the general theory of relativity, if you will, about the brain, I wanted one unifying framework. And to me, that's evolution. How brains evolved, you know, we have to go to the earliest life on earth and all the way through fast forward to what makes us distinctly human. And only if you understand that complete arc, do you understand how we behave. And I wanted to take that evolutionary psychology perspective on it and lay that out for non-technical readers and make it fun. So let's dive into the book a little bit and, and not even just the book, but the, the, um, some of the thinking that went into, uh, creating this, like, for instance, you talk about the chemistry of happiness Mm -hmm. and I'm curious, how do you apply things like that to, uh, to being a better human? What, what is the outcome that you, you think your readers will, will, will be, We'll, we'll obtain from creating a better chemistry of, of happiness in their life. I mean, it's something we all want, right? Well, yeah. And so the, the book is very comprehensive. I do go into neurotransmitters, drugs, addiction, um, gender differences, language, sexuality, uh, culture. I mean, it's all in there. They are highly social natures. Uh, um, so, but specifically on the, on the happy chemicals, if you will, in the brain, I think there's a vast misunderstanding. You hear things like, oh, okay, um, we should chase happiness and happiness is always available. Well, if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, happy chemicals are there just to motivate you to do stuff that survival value. It's not like some permanent state of bliss and unless you're like llama and you can like neurochemically activate that buff all the time, you're not going to stay happy. In fact, our natural state is to watch out for threats and unhappiness and um, occasionally get nudged by these happy chemicals to do useful things. And, and when we abuse them, when we chase happiness too much, that leads to this escalating addictive kind of behaviors uh, that actually end up in creating a lot more unhappy chemicals at the end and make us miserable. So happiness is not an end result. There's something you can get closer to. It's just you have to be aware of why these chemicals fire in your brain. So in knowing this and learning this information, what's the outcome? What's the, what, what can I create uh, knowing this information? Well, I think that um, if you, again, it's not just the, the, the neurotransmitters or that, that part of it, but just in general, understanding that your unconscious brain is in charge. You know, that's really the key takeaway of the book that, uh, you know, we've been fed this lie of rationality that human beings are unique and special in the universe because of our ability to reason and delay gratification and we're logical and we can build spaceships, you know, that's all bullshit. I mean, 99% of how we operate is using that same insect and reptile and mammal level brains that evolved over hundreds of millions of years. They work really well. That's why, they're, why we're here. And there are some really unique late almost instantaneous from an evolutionary standpoint, additions that make us human and why we took over the whole planet in short order. But most of what makes you happy or how you should approach life is really understanding your animal nature and your primal brain. Oh, that's cool. My animal nature. Do I get to assign myself an animal type? Um, You can be any little animal you wish. 
um, my uh, mankind project, uh, the animal spirit name is Peaceful Lion, incidentally. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, the, the, tell me more about the animal. Well, well for example, um, you know, if we talk about um, dopamine, that's a very important chemical kind of gets us, people think it's the reward chemical or it may, again, gives you a happiness payoff, but it's really there to meter energy. Like, should I spend energy chasing something that might help me survive or should I just do nothing, which is the default state most of the time? Well, for people to say like, oh, dopamine is that reward you get by seeing the number of likes on Facebook. Well, yeah, that's true. But to think of it in human terms is missing the point. Dopamine existed in fruit flies several hundred million years ago. So, you know, these are, these, you have to think of these things more from a survival value and how you can, how they misfire in modern civilization and in our current kind of over busy lives. So this book will help you understand uh, why you get hooked and why you get sidetracked so easily by by things uh, because your brain has evolved for a long time um, in that direction. Uh, we're not in the best setting to to take advantage of it right now. Yeah, especially right now. And actually, I was just going to uh, lead into that. We have so much going on right now. And you, you speak about this, talk about this, the emotional, the emotional life. And I can't think of a more emotional time with everything going on. And uh, I know that uh, people are in control and yet they're not of, there's so much that we don't have control over. How can we that's, gain that's more, more leverage over ourselves, more uh, create that, that dopamine, create that connection with our higher self or, or with whatever it, it, we need to have that happiness, tying back into the happiness? Hmm. Well, again, I think chasing happiness is a mistake. Basically, there's no such thing as permanent happiness. The only kind of renewable version of happiness that I've seen biochemically is recapitulating gratitude. Uh, if you know, that's an endless resource, you can go back and say, I'm really thankful for something in the form of memories of relationships, you know, like there are a lot of religious people that kind of put people into their prayers and thoughts at the end of the night before they go to bed. Well, that actually has a dual impact. You're recapitulating gratitude. And it's also the last thing before you go to sleep. So you're more likely to process it in your sleep. So that's kind of a, a good little nugget. Yeah, I, I write a little gratitude journal at the end of the day. All the little good things that happened to me that day. And it's like, yeah, so a, a friend of mine, I had a big blow up with one of my teenage kids. And, he's, and I said, I had a shitty day. And he said, really, did you have a shitty day or did you have a shitty five minutes with your kid that you turned into a shitty day? You know, so reminding ourselves that it's not all bad, even though we overfocus on the negative and focusing on the positive, I think that's one of the practical things that we can do to increase the meaning and quality in our lives. Ooh, that's so, such a difference between uh, chasing something, chasing happiness versus having gratitude. Uh, I, yeah, because I we can chase a lot of things. We can chase money, we can chase sex, we can chase yummy food, you know, all of these things. Uh, but there's an escalation. All of those have effects like morbid obesity or as, uh, sexually transmitted diseases or drug addiction at the end of the line. You know, that's not the path you want to go down. It's interesting, too. You talk about uh, safer in herds. Mm -hmm. And again, here we are being isolated. Yes. Tell me about that. 
how how are we going to survive isolation? Uh, well, humans, I have a whole part of my book, not just the chapter called Hypersocial. We are the most social creatures on the planet. Um, I mean, ants can cooperate in their millions, but they're essentially clones of each other. Well, we have completely different people with different backgrounds and, and abilities and cultural uh, packages, but we can cooperate in groups of billions if you think about concepts like money or democracy or religion, you know, we can organize in groups of billions of people right now. So uh, being social is the most important quality of being a human being. There's a longitudinal study out of Harvard. It's been running for 70 or 80 years. And basically it said that lack of a good social support network is the health equivalent of being like a two pack a day smoker in terms of life outcomes. It's that severe. So there's this idea of, um, in Philadelphia, there's this famous penitentiary. Um, and the whole idea of penitentiary, American concept versus jail, was like if people are good and they're just bad because of bad influences. So if you isolate them from bad influences and keep them in solitary confinement with the Bible, then they'll become come back to their true better natures. And what happened instead is that people went freaking insane, literally. Because isolation is the worst thing you can do to a human being. Wow. So here we are in a pandemic where we may not be in our own cells, um, but we're not having control over, perceived control over what we uh, can do to be a social creature. Yeah. And touch is super important. Pets have been shown in uh, old folks' homes to increase lifespan and health outcomes. I mean, so I have some cats in the house. At least they give me unconditional love. Um, so it, touch is super important. And as soon as we can get back to that, I think one of the, I'm not recommending this, but I'm just saying you should have a circle inside of your pandemic bubble of people you're willing to interact with. And, then, and, and lots of extra hugs these days um, is probably very important. We have this substance called oxytocin. Um, it's also in ecstasy or molly, you know, it's called like the, the love drug or cuddle hormone. Um, the basic purpose of it is to bond us with in-group members and to show aggression against out-group members. Uh, so oxytocin starts flowing when you have about 20 seconds of skin contact. Uh, so hold those hugs, you know, hold, hold hands. It's especially now it's really important. Well, I, I tried to hug my teenage son, but he just, he won't have it, but I'm going to have, make him watch this recording before I hug him next time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a tough one. I haven't figured out how to deal with my two teenagers. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe social distancing and best is best during those years. <laughs> so, so I, I kind of want to put a, uh, a bow on this with understanding now getting back to the main point, the goal of all this is to become our primal selves. What is that right? Did I get yeah, that? Yeah, right? the, the goal is to understand uh, where we really operate from and to be more natural creatures, not this artificial, like, again, cultural ideas like, you know, we're rational and logical. The fact is, when you're not doing two plus seven equals nine kind of stuff, your brain literally within a split second goes back to modeling your social relationships. Okay, that's its default state is to be social, to transmit culture, to teach and receive from others. That's what that's our evolutionary edge. We literally evolved for that. And so that's that's where the focus should be is understanding 
um, what kinds of things make you happy um, and, and doing more of that as opposed to chasing money or flipping through you know, your phone or uh, doing things that are completely unnatural. Give me an example for you. Uh, as you know, this show is about shifts, uh, which you've described actually in, in humanity, how we've shifted. How about yourself? How have you seen a shift or a small shift that you've made in becoming your, your more primal self? Uh, well, I can give you a couple of examples. One of the things I realized is that the critical importance of sleep. Again, sleep exists in all life on earth. Okay, so it's not optional. And people think it is or that they can shortchange it or literally killing themselves. So, you know, my teenagers go to bed pretty late and I don't care or stay up vampires. That's fine. My, I've started earthing or grounding, electrical grounding my body uh, when I sleep. And now I'm on a natural rhythm. I wake up at first light around 6, 630. So that means I have to get to bed by 10 because I'm not going to shortchange my sleep. Um, and then that's the only thing that allows you to function properly to uh, recalibrate your emotional relationships with other people and, and all of that. So, uh, that's those gold. It's sacred for me. Uh, people say, you know, diet and exercise. Well, no, it's sleep and then diet and exercise are secondary and optional. If you're not getting seven to nine hours of sleep, uh, maybe a mid afternoon nap, which is also natural for humans. Um, you're really killing yourself. You know, it's funny. Uh, my wife will tell you this too. I actually, uh, I'm a sleeper. Um, I feel like I'm in like, it's the version of Alcoholics Anonymous, but, um, but I, hi, my name is Brian. I'm a sleeper. And, um, <laughs> and, and I will actually default to sleep when I'm in, in deep stress. Um, and so sleep could, do you think that there could be too much, too much of sleep or, or not good sleep or how, you know? Well, it shouldn't be interrupted. So here's the thing. So if we compare ourselves to our grade eight cousins, they sleep 10 to 15 hours a day. Humans only average about eight. Think about that. That's a big cutback. And the wow. reason we have to do that is we climbed out of the trees and the environment in the ground was much more dangerous. So you can't spend as much time sleeping. But to compensate for that, we have to have much more efficient sleep, heavily favoring REM, which is to recalibrate our emotions, to simulate dangerous events we might need to practice in real life at some point. But the thing about REM sleep is our, our sleep cycles are about 90 minutes each, and, and it's tail weight. Most of your REM sleep happens in that last 90-minute sleep cycle. So if you're saying, I, I, I'm only robbing myself of one hour of sleep by sleeping six hours instead of seven, no, you're robbing yourself of half of your REM sleep for the night. And it's the dumbest thing you could do from a cognitive standpoint, memory, creativity, learning new physical skills. Get your full seven to nine hours. Wow. You heard it here. Uh, seven to nine. I love it. And now I got to go play that for my wife. It's like this is like a family podcast for me to now go play <laughs> this for each person in my family so they can see exactly why I'm, I'm going to do what I'm doing. I love it. So uh, the bonus is that everybody else gets to hear this too. And uh, and you and I, we could, we could sit here and talk all day because you've got 23 chapters of of um, the dance between your brains, let me tell you a story, sexy apes, big babies, humble beginnings, monkey see, monkey do, neurons. And I mean, it just keeps going on. So I really hope that everyone picks this book up and, and you will get not just one thing, not just two things, but lots of things from this book. As you can tell, we just talked from uh, uh, just in the last, what, 20 to 30 minutes. And it's just 
just crazy the amount of stuff that we can learn about ourselves and be better humans. Would you agree? And again, one of the things I talk about in there is culture transmission, and that's unique to people. Um, so we want to learn from someone, and we want to mentor and pass it on. This is my attempt to to really do some good in the world, and and to kind of pay it forward, if you will. Uh, so this book has no fluff, and I promise you, you will get insights about how to live a more natural and fulfilling life. Um, all the information, including that table of contents you mentioned, are, are on the website, primalbrain.com, and you can get an ebook, ebook or right now, uh, author signed pre-release copies of the book directly from me, primalbrain.com. Well, we'll link to all this great stuff in the show notes and make sure that everybody has access to this. Thank you, Tim. I truly appreciate it. I know uh, you put your heart and soul into this book. I was a little bit there along for the ride as you were writing it. And I just enjoyed seeing how your brain works. Your primal brain is pretty awesome. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, my brother. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.